0: All right. Okay, ladies and gents. So, welcome, welcome, welcome. It is another another session of quite frankly book club a A club that I'm very very proud of and it is so chill and we have the greatest audience in the world for this Uh, very insightful people they read well they think well and uh, and and I just like doing overtime with everybody and now we're going to be joining um, together for four nights in August does everybody see me on uh, everybody sees everything's going on going great everybody hears it and sees it give me some confirmation in that chat room Um, but here's what we're doing tonight i'm introducing to you to a friend of mine you probably all know charlie robinson charlie how you doing
1: i'm fantastic i'm so excited for this
0: i am too i really am we are going to be reading for the next couple of weeks shoeless joe by wp kinsilla and a couple of weeks ago i got in touch with charlie and i said charlie um do you do you ha, have you ever seen? when was the last time you watched field of dreams and you said you know what i haven't seen it in a while i said i'd love to do a deep dive with you on that on that movie and then i started thinking you know what i have had this book on my shelf shoeless joe i've had this book on my shelf since at least 2013 and i never picked it up I said, let's do it. I know that you appreciate the game, and I know that you've got a uh, you've got an analytical mind, and this is just going to be a lot of fun. So uh, let me just get some of your your initial um, initial feelings on things for people out there. You, you know the basis here. You have a a uh, an Iowa corn farmer. You have mm-hmm. Ray Kinsella. He's out there, and he he hears a voice in the corn it tells him if you build it he will come and that's where it starts out with over here and you are taken on a magical magical journey and i just want to know your initial thoughts on 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 just everything here what was your your reading experience like for chapters 1 to 2 which was a whopping 101 pages
1: yeah well it's less about baseball than most people might think it's more about the journey it's about have it's about intuition it's about trust it's about having a great relationship with your wife oh, <laughs> which he has incredible uh it's it's about friendships it's about it's about you know go, when you go on on the journey whatever that is in your life maybe it's you're getting married maybe you're starting a new job maybe you're you're starting school whatever it seems how you get from A to Z seems impossible to figure it out. And sometimes you just need to go from A to B and just trust that B to C will explain itself when you get there and C to D. And eventually you'll get to the end and you'll never in a million years have been able to have scripted it or written an outline or done a business plan or whatever. Not to say don't think about it, but it's just coincidences, opportunities, things happen. And you find yourself at the end, and and you 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 look back and you think, boy, if I had been too intimidated to ever get started, none of this would have happened. And now I look at that with regard to writing a book. I've written three books. I'm working on a fourth right now. When you start the process of working on a book, and you know how much work goes into it, it's tempting to just turn around mm-hmm. and just say, mm, I don't really want this, but but. Uh, you you, and you might not know exactly what the last sentence on the last page is going to say, but you know that if you start down that path, you're going to get there. And this Shoeless Joe book, though, Field of Dreams, Kevin Costner, the, the movie, made it about baseball, and obviously it's a story about baseball. It's about so much more than that. You know, as m- usually book, you know, when people say, oh, the book's better than the movie. Yeah, that's because you you've got... Days or weeks to marinate in the, with this information and 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 really understand it. So I did watch the movie, cried my eyes out at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it never
0: misses. And then you're always, you're always no. you're, your back is broken over the knee of the movie every damn time. You can't you yeah can't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it
1: it it is a it, it's a baseball movie. Of course I love baseball. It's a personal movie for me in that when i was a kid my dad wasn't a baseball player i loved baseball was all about it he wasn't skilled enough as a baseball player to be my little league coach so he instead became the president of my local little league you know so he got involved in the way that he could and um you know, I had my own sort of field of dreams, shoeless Joe moment. I, I, uh, my dad died my junior year of high school of a heart attack, just a random unlucky thing. And my junior year of my high school baseball career, I had decided I'm going to hit a home run for him. Now. I had never hit a home run. I, I didn't have power. I could play the field. I needed glass, truth is I needed glasses. I couldn't really see all that well. Um, And the last at bat of my junior year, I hit a home run that that didn't just go over the fence. It went over a green monster style fence and over the roof of the first house and onto the roof of a second house behind it. I mean, it was a bomb, a bomb I've never hit before in my life. And I specifically remember rounding the bases in feeling like this was, so this was May. My dad died Thanksgiving of the so six months or so before that. And I had this heaviness on me the whole time. You know, it's a, it's a big thing to go through when you're 16. It's a big thing to go through any, at any time, but 16, I was away at boarding school, so I wasn't even living at home. I was just sort of dealing with this on my, on my own. And when I hit home plate after that home run, all came out the emotion the feeling i felt like he left after that wow so my relationship with baseball has always been much deeper than the game it's why when you said you wanted to do this this book with me it was um it's more than just reading i i can i feel that it's, it's it's a baseball runs through through my soul you know and 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 in this book goddamn in this book there's a scene in there where you know and we're gonna get to it but there's a scene in there where don zimmer goes out to the mound and I, you know we'll get to it but i have a, I have stories about don I, I, know, I know Don.
0: Oh, I knew Don. Well, I, all I know about Don is he's. I mean he was just the bench coach in in New York for a while. I love them, but I know that he had a lot a lot, of, a lot of time spent over there with the Red Sox. Um and yeah, I would love to hear about that. We're going to get to it. I mean, your 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 thoughts really mirror my own. I have a lot of notes in here. I have things written down. I'll I'll start with my thoughts. It's the last note I wrote myself. On page 19 it's the last page of chapter 1 and I wrote this to myself I said if the first chapter were all there was to this book it would be one of the most beautiful short stories ever written if you just read the first chapter and walk away from the book it is because you can you can fill in the blanks you can see where it's going you can see what has been put into motion the first chapter is one of the most beautiful short stories i have ever read in my life and it, it goes beyond um and it starts off on page three which is the first page um here we go the third paragraph three years ago at dusk on a spring evening when the sky was a robin's egg blue and the wind was as soft as a day old chick i said oh my god i'm going to get destroyed by this book the
1: <laughs> the la- the
0: language the language is so delicious i know it's delicious everything about this book is i am I'm, I'm loving it so much uh well, here's another one um it's on page 4 Page four I wrote I underlined this one chapter this uh, paragraph on page four I said I said to myself I need this Our house is one of those massive old farm homes, square as a biscuit box with a sagging veranda on three sides. The floor of the veranda slopes so that the marbles, baseballs, tennis balls, and ball bearings all accumulate in a corner like a herd of cattle clustered with their backs to a storm. On the north veranda is a wooden porch swing where Annie and I sit on humid August nights, sip lemonade from teary glasses, and dream. said, uh... Okay, well, just put the knife into my jugular. I'm, I'm, I'm dead. I said this. It's, it's. This is gorgeous stuff here. I. So it doesn't matter if it's a. It's a book about baseball. If it's a book about farmers markets, I am. I'm in it. I want more of what he. Of what he's got to offer, and immediately after that, he offers up an, an a description of Annie, who is just. This is such a beautiful relationship they have, and she is. You're, you're talking about taking those first steps in life, uh, no matter what, what it is that you're doing. A daunting task. You know you want to get to point Z, but you don't know where C is. You just There's B has presented itself, A to B. How do we get to A to C after that or B to C? But the one thing that you need to do, uh, the one thing that is very, very evident in this, aside from having faith and just going for it, is the support of people in your life. It's very important to have support. Annie is just such an incredible um uh source of support for Ray. And you know, I think that's one of the things that really translates in the movie as well. Never never ever wavers and they're always oh. trying to protect each other. It's great. And
1: she has plenty of opportunities to waver too. She's got her she's got her brother who's saying what are you doing? Like, this is... You're running a farm that's going into bankruptcy. Like, we'll help you out. So, the in-laws think he's nuts. The brother thinks he's nuts. His wife thinks he's amazing. And, boy, you can go a long way on an empty tank of gas if you've got a wife like that who thinks that you'll figure it out, has trust and belief that you'll figure it out. She never gets rattled. She never gets... Um, I mean she maybe maybe she's guilty of not asking the right questions too like how are you going to do all this stuff but she never seems to get bogged down in the details she just knows that if he says he's going to do it going to figure out a way to do it and you might as well be supportive of him and help him along his journey otherwise you're going to have yourself a husband that feels that he's um not well that he's not doing what he's put on this planet to do he mm. seems to be a good dad. He seems to be a great husband. He's very supportive in those roles. But there's this thing. There's this thing that is is, intuition, conscious, God, whoever, whatever you want to describe it. But there, there is this thing that is really tough to explain to somebody else kind of tough to explain the motivation or the inspiration for this without coming across as sounding crazy. And she has every opportunity to just dismiss him as a lunatic of course, but she never does. And I have this note too. It says helps to have a supportive spouse when you want to follow your dreams. Mm -hmm. You've got to have that, that, that is part of it because things will get weird and things will get hard and things will get, uh, there'll be plenty of reasons to back out of it. And if you've got somebody that believes in you and supports you, that'll get you over the hump in a couple of these. So um, I have a couple quotes, too, that 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 I wrote down here. His, this one got me. It says, my birthstone is a diamond. My astrological sign is hit and run. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that, too. I love that, too. There's more. I love, in the beginning there, the, the, the best thing about this is the pacing. Um there's no really big and same thing in the uh, in the the movie too. I mean, you get that first whisper from the corn early on. If you build it, he will come. That's it. I was sitting on the veranda of my farm home in Eastern Iowa when a voice very clearly said to me, "If you build it, he will come." From there, only a couple of pages later, you are thrust right into the middle of the process of building this uh this field now what's different from the the book so far when the, the compared to the movie is that ray in the book and it took me a little while to realize what was going on here he had only constructed left field he he knew it was about shoeless joe in the in the movie it was just okay I, he didn't really know exactly who was who was it for until the one man showed up, and it was it was Joe Jackson. But um, and he built the entire damn thing in the, in the in the movie. But now he was only constructing left field. And I love this. There, are three seasons I've spent seeding, watering, fussing, spraying, coddling that field like a sick child. Now it glows parrot green, cool as mint, soft as moss, lying there like a cashmere uh, blanket. I've begun watching it. Uh, watching it in the evening sitting on the rico- uh, rickery rickety bleacher just beyond its fence a bleacher i constructed for an audience of one and it was um this is when the magic really starts happening because he shows up he shows up and that's when we learn a little bit about if you're not a baseball fan or if you didn't know too much about baseball history especially those black socks um, you learn a little bit more about the reserve clause in this here, too. Um, Jackson's reply, he says, uh, say it ain't so, Joe, when he was outside of that, the, the, the courthouse um, when they were all banned for life. It won't. He said, when, it, when he comes, I won't put him in that spot by asking. He's, this is Ray talking about when, when uh, Jackson shows up the less it said the better it is likely that he did accept the money from gamblers but throw the series no never shoeless joe jackson led both teams in hitting in that nineteen nine series 1919 series it was the circumstances the circumstances the players were paid peasant salaries while the owners became rich the infamous 10-day clause uh which voided contracts could and could end any player's career without compensation pension or even a ticket home not to mention i mentioned this on a on a previous sunday stream for for my subscribers and the real reason charlie you probably know this the real reason that they're called the black socks is not because of the scandal cast a black cloud over them but it's because charles comiskey refused to even pick up the laundry tab on their their uh their uniforms uh he wanted the players to pay for their own laundry so in protest they just did not clean their stuff and as they went out and played more games and their 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 uniforms got dirtier they were known as the black Sox because they were just filthy animals and they were underpaid but they were amazing ball
1: players so well that is 100 percent true and the idea of them being in black socks and dirty socks and dirty uniforms especially appealed to me because in 1993 the very first year in the league of the colorado rockies through a lifelong connection i had to don baylor i was able to pick up the phone call don say i want to come work with you with the rockies and he said in what capacity and i said i'll do anything i'll do everything just get me there and he said all right hang on i'll hang tight i'll call you back in a couple of days i got a call from him and he that a couple of days later and he said uh hey you uh you, you still want to go work with the team and i said yeah and he said meet me in tucson in three days and i said okay and i sold all my stuff and i dropped out of school i was two years into school i had two years left college i loaded up my car and i drove to tucson arizona didn't know anybody didn't found an apartment place i could rent weekly lived in this apartment with nothing took a job with the rockies first spring training first year in the league as a team as an organization they didn't exist until this this point and my if there were a totem pole i was at the bottom i was an unpaid intern. I washed the black socks. I washed jock straps. I shined shoes. I shined catcher's equipment. I drove guys to the airport after they got traded. I picked guys up after they got traded. I drove a guy from Tucson to Phoenix because he missed the team bus because he overslept. That poor bastard knew for an hour and a half he was going to get cut in that ride. Um, I did it all, you know, for nothing. Just whatever the players would pay me. So I know about Charles Kamiski and I know about what a cheap bastard he was, and I know as somebody that worked for free, just so I could be around the team. I knew wh- how important the laundry <laughs> component was, so that was not lost on me. This whole thing about uh, about baseball and and and. The feeling you get about, I mean, like I said, it's not really so much about baseball, but you know, if you've been to a major league stadium or even a minor league stadium, there's a smell you get when you finally can see the field and it smells like grass or they're out there watering it or whatever. There is a very baseball smell of things. And for people that are baseball geeks like me or you, We're gonna pay you zero dollars, and you're going to shine shoes and wash guys' jock straps for free. Are you interested? The answer is: How fast can I get there? I just had to get there as fast as I could, and so I spent that that first spring training 1993 as an unpaid intern doing everything that you could do for a baseball team. But also, but also, Don was nice enough. Don said, "Come here, let's go. We'll have you sit in on a marketing meeting. Just be quiet, sit in the back, and." You, me, GM, the owner, president, you know, head of operate, all these people, and I just sat there and watched and did all that. So, whatever I could do to get close to baseball, that's what I was going to do.
0: See, and that leads me to this this next parts here because here we go. This this one part over here about the building magic right before Shoeless Joe shows up. I love this because this is this kind of thing that I feel in my own life sometimes and I just I just wonder when the hell is it going to happen. It will happen honey. Annie would say as I stood shaking my head at my folly. He's looking at this left field that he had built and and what the hell's going on there people looked at me I must have had a, I must have had a nickname in town but I could feel the magic building like a gathering storm it felt as if small animals were scurrying through my veins I knew it was going to happen soon that got me so damn excited to read stuff like that and then there's someone then um, a couple of a couple of paragraphs down on page 11 there's someone on your lawn Annie said to me and <laughs> I said, this is, oh, man, my blood went cold on that one. And then we go a little bit more. Now there's a little bit more there on this uh, interaction between Joe, Shoeless Joe Jackson. I love this line on page 13. Moonlight butters the uh, whole Iowa night. Moonlight butters the whole Iowa night. Clover and corn smells are thick as syrup. And I'm just, I just love his writing style. And then down as here. a writer,
1: I, I am in awe of it. Mm. As I I was reading this, going, I'm no writer. This I, is a writer. This you is know no what writer. I mean? Like it was, I was, I was simultaneously like impressed, deeply motivated, and out of my league at the same time. Now, here
0: is that part about the game. Man, about just loving something and will do anything for it. Here is a little bit of Shula, of Joe, uh, Joe Jackson talking about what it was like to be amputated, to be cut away from the game and banned forever. Uh, It must have been like, it must have been like, but I couldn't find the words. Like having a part of me amputated, slick and smooth and painless. Joe looks up at me and his dark eyes seem about to burst with the pain of it. A friend of mine used to tell us about the war, how him and a buddy was running across a field when a piece of shrapnel took his friend's head off, and how the friend ran headless for several strides before he fell. I'm told that old men wake up in the night and scratch itchy legs that have been dust for 50 years. That was me. Years and years later, I'd wake up in the night with the smell of the ballpark in my nose and the cool of the grass on my feet. The thrill of the grass, and I—you can just feel that it, whether again maybe because we have a little bit of a sentimental um, relationship with the game there. But the way that this is all written, you can you can just feel how much this meant to him and to have it all taken away, in what was a uh, a, a terrible mix of circumstances. And that was just it. Um, now, to end the, end the first chapter, we've got this. Can I come back again, Joe asks. I built this left field for you. It's yours anytime you want to use it. They play 162 games a year now. Now he says there are others, and that's when he realizes I have to build the whole field, not just left field. But listen to this last part. The way that this ended, and when he said, I know a catcher, he never made it to the majors, but he's in his prime. He was in his he, when he was in his prime He was good really good played class b-ball, and that's you know, he's talking about his father and This is different from the movie as well because the father Ray's father at the end is that's one of almost like the surprises of the film whereas he's Obviously not realizing that the one he's probably building this field for is his father and yep. it, It's it's right there you can tell because he keeps checking up on him. What about that catcher I told you about?
1: Yeah, you yeah. know he asked about it multiple times. Hey, have you have you? Yeah, we're working on him. We're working on him. How's that field coming? Oh, I'm working on the field. Are you working on the catcher? I'm working on the catcher. All right, are you working on the field. So, so they're getting it ready. And yeah, it's different from the movie. And the, and the, this was this was a more obscure. Like the idea of just building a left field makes no sense, but. It it it's a progressive thing where well you're building left field for me but did you know that there's more of us to want to play okay well fine I'll, I guess I have to build I have to build a I have to build a, a home plate he starts saying well how am I going to level it and how am I going to you know what am I going to use for it he starts to get into I have all these ideas about things never once did Annie say honey okay we've done the left field thing can we just wrap it up at left field no it was you do what needs you need to do to follow this all the way through. And, and this, this of course is again, is more of like in line with life where you don't know you need to build home plate all the time. That comes to you later. You're, you have to build left field first mm-hmm. and then home, then, then someone will explain, Oh yeah, well I've got to do home plate. So it's like a lot of us get stopped on this mission to accomplish this great task that we have in our mind. Cause we think, Oh, how are we going to do it? There's a million things to do. Yeah, for sure. But if you just stay focused on what, you know, I'm going to start this journey and build left field. I'm just going to worry about left field. I'm not going to do the whole thing, but just left field. Once you do left field, then you'll figure out when it's time to build home plate. Then you'll figure out when it's time to invite the rest of the guys. Those, those things have a way of unfolding in the future at at, at a specific time but one thing is for sure is if you never start, if you never go with this crazy idea, this, if you build it, he will come. If you never start down that path, then then you're guaranteed to have none of those things happen. So it it's a real, I think it's, it's like you said, it, it's, it's it's a baseball story at the surface, but just at the surface. As you start to dig down a little bit more, you start to find that it's a it's applicable for all sorts of components of life. You yeah. know, the 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 uncertainty of relationships. Oh, where's this going to go? I don't know. I'm just going to start, you know, I'm just going to start down this path. I'm not going to worry about getting married i'm not going to worry about building home plate right now we're just going to go out on a left field date you know yeah. we're just going to do that and we'll see what happens you know and not putting that much pressure on yourself to have it all figured out and this idea of just incremental. well then you know then 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 the new message comes and it's like well shit i didn't know there was going to be a second message oh i know a third uh, you, you know be- and, and you they just keep coming so you got to stay you got to stay flexible you got to pay attention you got to you've got to recognize the signs when the universe is giving you a sign like if you build it he will come it's very easy to be dismissive of that and go somebody's in my ear stop talking to me i'm trying to concentrate but but if you can get yourself in a position through experience or meditation or psychedelics or whatever it is that you're into to get you into a place where you're in the you're receptive to the universe speaking to you get yourself to that place and then watch as these messages come. I look back on things in my life that I've that I've felt proud of or accomplishments that I had and I go, well, I couldn't... I mean, if I had scripted that thing out, it would have never happened that way. I know. You know, so so, so it, you got to kind of just let it... you got to wing it and, and put yourself jazz. in a situation for things to happen.
0: That's the jazzy situation that we're in right now. And that's why I'm saying with the end of the end of the chapter one, which we're going to have to do some summarizing as we go forward, because then there's 80 more pages here, and we only have, uh, you know, I, I don't want to go too far beyond an hour because I like to make these bite-sized. But um, that's why I say chapter one could be such a beautiful short story you get everything you need to know about the relationship about the field about faith about the about the relationship with the father about the legend of of joe jackson about hearing the voice building the left field he shows up there it ends up saying hey there's more of us you know and so right right from there if you, you leave it off at that you as a reader can say okay well, Ray has already gotten all the confirmation of the magic that he needs. Annie sees it. Karen sees the, 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 the magic of this field. So you know he's going to build the rest of the field. You can see that more people are going to show up. You can imagine the magic just growing and growing and growing. And not only that, he puts in the I know a catcher. So you know he's going to be able to eventually, hopefully, see his own father in his, in his youth, in his prime, playing again. And then you have the end, the last two paragraphs which are, are so incredible because it's the this is what they saved for the last couple of lines of dialogue in the movie. He says, "What a beautiful outfield. What a left field." He looks up at me and he looks down at me and goes, "This must be heaven." Joe Jackson says. And he says, "No, it's Iowa." And and that's the, in the movie, you know, Kevin Costner says, "It's Iowa." And he says it so so innocently in the movie, too. And I can feel that <laughs> I could feel that here and of course the rest of what he says after he says no it's Iowa I'm not gonna read because I won't be able to get through it and um, and then at the end he says when he when he describes what it is that is so beautiful about Iowa and his life there his family and all that he actually starts to 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 uh, agree with Joe I think you're right I think this is heaven and that's why I say this is the best short story chapter one that I've ever read in my life, and um, and I've got a lot of short stories at home. I read John John Cheever and and Hemingway and Fitzgerald and and uh, Isaac Asimov, and this one damn chapter just took me to places that were so beautiful. Um, I loved it. Now. Chapter two, they tore down the polo grounds. This is when he goes looking for J.D. Salinger himself, who in the movie is Terrence Mann. And even though we know that this is J.D. Salinger, the, uh, the, the the writer of Catcher in the Rye, I cannot help but read all of this dialogue as Ray Kinsella and James Earl Jones. can too. I can't. <laughs> I think that way. Charlie. I think that's a testament of how how wonderfully cast the movie was, because yeah. I you know it's almost like with Game of Thrones. I I want to imagine a lot of the casting from the from the HBO in the books when I read them because I think they're just wonderfully the Peter Dinklage and all that. Um, so what do you think? Just sum up some thoughts about his remarkable journey to seeing all of these ballparks from where he is across the Midwest, looking for J.D. Salinger in New Hampshire or wherever he was and, and bringing him to that, that Red Sox game. What do you think about the, the kidnapping?
1: Well, I think it's interesting that he felt like he had to get in the right frame of mind in order to pull this off, and that meant he needed to go to Chicago and Cleveland and Pittsburgh and see games in these stadiums and then go, to New Hampshire, Vermont, where and 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 kidnap JD Salinger and take him to a Red Sox game. He knew that if he just went straight in, into a cold Red Sox game without the buildup, it was going to be less than ideal. And he also sort of felt it it seemed that he felt a need to if we're if we're sort of uh, throwing ourselves on the mercy of the baseball gods to reveal themselves. To, to me at this future event in, at, at Fenway Park, I'm going to need to be in the right baseball frame of mind. I'm going to need to go to Wrigley Field. I'm going to need to go to the, you know, d- down to Memorial Stadium in, in Cleveland and watch that game. I'm going to need to go to Pittsburgh. I'm going to need to go as I make my way. I'm going to need to get all that baseball vibe on me, mm. and that and the feelings that you get. And the interesting thing about baseball, for those that are sort of mildly interested, is that you know, with every other sport, there's a specified, designated size of the field. But in baseball, with the exception of the the the, the lengths to the bases you can have a longer left field or a shorter left field, or you can have the green monster in Fenway as they do. And, and you can have all these different variations. And so for him to build only a left field in Iowa for a baseball stadium, and then go to Boston where it's the one left field where you can't sit in the bleachers there because there's a green monster you can now they've extended it and everything but but back then you in that that wasn't lost on him that wasn't my insight into this he mentions the irony of of being at boston you know being seen game in fenway where you can't sit in left field and at my place you can only sit in left field it's kind of funny that we did that but i liked how he recognized that the baseball gods might just be upset if you didn't have a little bit more baseball on you when you when you embarked on this thing like you're going to make this drive from Iowa to, to New Hampshire to kidnap this guy and you're going to go by all these stadiums and you're not going to stop we, I'm sorry the baseball guys just would not be okay with yeah. that you're going to have to and, and so intuitively he knew that he was going to need to make a road trip out of this and in the style of like the catcher in the rye, you know, these sort of things like, hey, we're just going to be out there figuring it out we're going to go get ourselves into an adventure we're gonna go get ourselves into an old-timey road trip where we're just gonna go from place to place to place and 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 how is it how am I gonna steal how am I gonna steal this guy this this JD sounder famous author how am I going to do it? his pla- he had all the time in the world to come up with a great plan never did
0: and how and how never all, never, and, never. <laughs> you know what I, I know he had a lot of time to think uh, but it's one of those things where you're about to do something so outside of the bounds of what is even uh, what is ever could be considered appropriate let alone uh, what is normal for you as an individual but it's never appropriate anytime to kidnap somebody to coerce them to go with you to a baseball game but um, so you you know that no matter what it's going to be a a shit show and I think it is so it is so um, uh, wonderfully awkward it's such an awkward thing to to have this dialogue between Ray and JD uh, Salinger, trying to get him in the car. Salinger just thinking, you know, how crazy is this guy? What's going on here? And and being given a uh, home run ball that was hit by shoeless Joe Jackson in his backyard. It, I mean, he sounds nuts. And I wrote a note to myself. I laughed on my in my notes. I said, Ray sounds nuts. I, like think about. Think about being JD Salinger and having somebody show up to your house and say this. It's it's hilarious. But you know, like you said, extraordinary circumstances. How am I going to do this? I just gotta be I've just gotta be unabashedly honest and I and just know it sounds crazy and just go for it. Because what you what we learn, is that as they as they get to the stadium, they sit there, and I love the little exchanges that humanize J.D. Salinger and his and his own his own situation with people intruding in on him and wanting to have a normal life, and, and Ray thinking that you know ease his pain was about J.D.'s uh, you know Jerry's pain when, when it wasn't, and he knows that, but that they both had to be in that that, um, that stadium to see the same thing. And that is where the magic starts gripping more than one person, more than one family. Now it's J.D. and Ray who are gripped by the same magic. They are destined to be on this together, and I love when that turns around. And they and they uh, they both had seen and heard go the distance. That is a, such a huge turning point in the show, in the um, in the entire story when he is able to recruit spiritually, recruit. Terrence Mann or in this case JD Salinger, for this quest. It's um it's a huge turning point and it, and it's so and the magic is just bubbling off the pages.
1: Yeah, it really is. He says in, in here, "Baseball is a ceremony, a ritual as surely as sacrificing a goat beneath a full moon is a ritual <laughs> and, and it kind of it cracked me up because i've had these conversations my family my my wife is not a huge baseball fan she doesn't see the appreciation and, and and i would say to her i would say i could sit in a baseball stadium like you could just take me down to a baseball stadium put a blindfold on and i could just sit in the stadium and listen to everything and hear the game like those like those people that that still go to the games with the headphones on and, you know, they're listening to the radio broadcast and maybe they have their own, yeah. they're, they're scoring, they're, they've got their a score book and they're scoring it themselves. They're like really into the intricacies and the nuance of it and everything. And it, it and though I don't really connect it I, I don't really sort of find baseball and goat sacrificing to be necessarily the same, same thing. Although, yeah. you know, major league, <laughs> they did have to sacrifice a chicken, but um I do. I think that that the idea of it being like it's a sacred space for me, at least the way it the way it sounds and the way it smells and the the noises and the and and you know and a lot of people are like, well, well, hurry! This game is too slow and everything. Well, that's kind of the nice part about it is that there's no there's also no time limit to it either. It goes until it doesn't go until somebody wins after a certain number of innings and it's sort of uncapped in terms of the time it's uncapped in terms of space dimensions of the, of the stadium. And it really allows for a lot of things to happen. You can go to a baseball game and see something that nobody's ever seen before. Hmm. It happens all the time. And, um, and of course this is an adventure that is, you know, he's completely out of his element, completely out of his mind, being being driven by something impossible to explain. And even if you tried to explain it, if he tried to explain what he was feeling to J.D. Sound, he knew early on, if I tell this guy why I'm here, he's going to be even more convinced I'm insane, besides the fact that I'm trying to kidnap him with a without a real gun. And... It, it, the whole thing just kind of. Um, there, there's that moment where, JD Salinger no longer feels threatened and has kind of, uh, he's kind of decided he's just going to go along, with this adventure and see what happens. He could have turned him in when the cops had the car pulled over. He could have said, "This guy's trying to kidnap me," and it, the whole thing would have been over. But I, th- I feel like the writer in, in, in him took over and said, "I write fantasy for a living." Let's see how this fantasy story works Let's, out. Let's see what happens. This guy clearly doesn't have a gun. He's going to take me to a baseball game. Now what happens? And well,
0: yeah. we know what happens. And we know what happens. And, and where it all ends up, and I know there's a lot of tiny details in there in those 100 pages, um, but uh, we, we'll get around to those as the, as the book goes on. And I want to get to some of these, these thread entries right now. But where it all leaves off is go the distance. What's the distance? They've got to go to Minnesota. And they've got to look into a man named Moonlight Graham. Nope. He had one at-bat. One, No, 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 no. Played one game. Never had an at-bat. And one game, one inning in the big leagues. And they're were, they were told to go to, who is this Moonlight Graham that they have, to, they have to go investigate? So that's the distance that they have to go. And now... J.D. Salinger, along with Ray Kinsella, they are completely invested in this journey. They they know that it, by divine providence alone they are being led, and you cannot refuse this kind of a quest. You have to just go with it, and um, and that's where we're going to learn. I, I would say just off the bat, uh, Chapter 3 is only about 50-something pages, and, um, and I think that for, for next week, let's just read Chapter 3. So we'll do that and maybe we can get into, because it's only 50 pages, we can get into a lot more detail then. But let me Mm -hmm. jump into this thread now and see what other people are seeing. The chat room is a very cozy chat room. I've been reading you guys in there. Um, I love the insight. And um, let's see, this first one is from Sharon. Said, I shrugged my shoulders when you said we'd read Shoeless Joe Jackson for Book Club, but I decided to give it a try and I'm glad that I did. The author, W.P. Kinsella, uses his words like brushstrokes on paper. Wow. One, one wonderful way of, of putting it. I'm Page nine, for example. The second spring on a tooth-aching May evening, a covering of black clouds lumbered off westward like ghosts of buffalo, and the sky became the cold color of a silver coin. The forecast was for frost. This is just the first of many I've read in the first two chapters when Ray used a gun to kill a bird for no reason as the 10-year-old child he was felt so proud to have accomplished uh, accompli- uh, have accomplished that. Made me think that his mother was strict but wise. How disappointed he was when his mother told him to bring the bird back to life after he just killed it wantonly. I, I, I said, oh, I know where this is going. You know, I, I can tell that too. I Look what I did, look what I did where he said he even felt the bird's heart stop beating. And um, what wise uh, parenting right there. Bring the bird back to life. You can't, okay, well, then if you can't, uh, then what would she say? Then you should never do that again unless you need to eat it. Unless you, unless you need food or something like that. Don't just take life. And I, I love those little things that are put in there. That's that's just character development. It gives you, it gives you more reason to love or hate a character by design. Um, Page 35. Oh, that's, it. that's what she said, that about the, the single 22. Um, page 43. Chicago was always, uh, it has always, was always cold, grimy, impersonal. I rented a room at the, in a decaying hotel with fly-specked fluorescent lights in a shabby lobby full of gaunt black men slouching in ratty knife-scarred leather chairs. There is an intermittent rain, cold drops that pelted down at odd angles, stinging like little slaps. I particularly liked enjoying this description of the rain, Frank. I like Ray's characters. He's complex yet easy to get to know. And um, and uh, responding to that is NJSF and says, I wholeheartedly agree with you on when you said that his... He uses his words like brushstrokes on paper. It's very easy to transport oneself to places he describes and imagine the scene. I rarely had callbacks to when I was when I watched the movie long ago. I'm intentionally delaying doing so, not to spoil the reading experience, but will most likely do so once this book club ends. In addition to the parallel with current times, you know. Uh, it jumped to me uh, as the paparazzi-like stalking that J.D. Salinger describes and his effort to stay away from it, which is an example of the paradox of people of relevance wanting to keep privacy and irrelevant people seeking fame at all costs at the same time. That's, a, Ooh, that's an incredible... Great inc- point. Wow. That's why I'm, I love this audience. Damn. They're, they're, good, they're good like that. <laughs> they're, <laughs> I know. They're Amazing. good like that. Yeah, that's incredible. Um Oh. oh, wow. All right. So here's another one from Robert Solorio. It says, page 12, crowd, crowd like bees humming, voices of vendors like crows cawing. I still remember the yell of beer here. And vendors selling hot dogs and peanuts. I miss those simpler days. And page 43, fans bringing radios to listen to the broadcast while watching live games. That was great. Page 35, in the dark in my daughter's bedroom, proud, brave, but very scared. When my daughter was just a few weeks old, only me and her at home, lying in bed next to her. She's looking up at me. I remember feeling something very akin to that. A great writer. Oh, there's number uh, Charlie, there's a number of... Um, Portions in here where I I really couldn't even hold it together because I yeah. see you know Lauren is my Annie, Aurora yeah. is my Karen, and it destroys me. Oh, destroys me.
1: They they get us. They get us. Um, I thought what was interesting and maybe it gets discussed later, but it sort of it's sort of towards the end of the 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 chapter. is um, when he, they're at the stadium and he walks into a beam and splits his head open, that he gets four stitches in his left eyebrow like his brother did.
0: Yes. And that was the only thing that, that tells him apart. Remember. And that was that, the
1: only thing that could tell him apart. And so thing. I'm starting to wonder if he he said his, his his twin brother like walked out of the house at 16 and they never saw him again, and that seems very... Much like a metaphor for maybe he diverted and went some different direction and was never saw his other part of himself again. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe he had an actual twin twin brother, and I'm reading too much into it. No, but, no. But,
0: I, I, great point. In fact, I, this next this next one from Jalen Wedding said the dialogue between Ray and JD is really well done. For me, really elevated the story so far. I did not expect the cock measuring contest, though. I did not either. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, 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 in my notes, I put ha. I'm... I saw that I was like, "Whoa, okay. <laughs> Different time maybe? I don't have a brother or I don't I don't have brothers or or sisters or anything, so I I'm just thinking and I certainly don't have a twin brother, so i was like, well, maybe that's a normal thing to do. I don't know, but I it jumped off the page at me.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. In an uncomfortable kind of way. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. No, I I I'm glad that you brought that up because because um uh, the, the, the hit on the head, I said, hmm, hmm, that's going to leave a mark. In fact, it's the only mark that the brothers never shared until right then. So I thought about that, and I had forgotten about it until you brought it up right now. Um, let's see here. From Dyslexic Angel, he says, I have not wanted to read this book as I, I have not wanted to read this book as I love the movie so very much to this day. I can close my eyes and be transported to the events that unfolded in the movie and be lifted in hope. However, as a person with ADHD, I have found baseball to be mind-numbingly boring. So I will need some help with what some of the st- uh, the stats mean. Mainly because I want to learn about something I know very little about. Ex- uh, example on page seven, he hit 375. What does that mean? I want to appreciate all of. what... What is so beautifully written in this book okay well charlie i i'm more than willing to do that but if, but you're the guest here go ahead tell him what 3.375 means as a batting average
1: it's a it's an expression of hits at out of number of at bats so if you were to hit 375 i think that you would be what three out of eight or something it, like that it, it's something, pretty much
0: 37 three, percent of three the time. out of
1: yeah, yeah oh, okay yeah uh it's a really good batting average it's uh if you were to hit if if one out of every 3 at bats you were you got a hit meaning you weren't thrown out you got a a hit a single a double triple home run if you did that one out of 3 times meaning you failed two out of the 3 times you would be in the hall of fame if you did that over a 20 year career you'd be in the hall of fame i mean it's it's a it's a di- very difficult sport it's a sport that's measured I learned math by baseball statistics. That's how I. That's how I. I can calculate numbers in my head simply, you know, due to spending time around these averages. So, people that I to to the to the the listener viewer that said that baseball is mind-numbingly boring, I get it. I totally understand. I can I can completely objectively see why people could could see baseball as being really boring but if you are somebody that spends enough time around it and you and you and you happen to li- like it especially if you're a kid and you get involved in it what you find is that it's one of the main it's one of the the only sports i know that is just dominated by math yep there's so much mathematics in it there's so much there's so much strategy there's so much there there's there's it is so it, it's like chess but for team sport you know, you I, know action you, sports like you know charlie when i
0: when i would um and this is for dyslexic angel there too when i would co- i coached little league for 16 years and um i would always give impart these these little tidbits about the game to the to the children that you know three if you think about that 375 well 375 is again 37 percent of the time you got a hit and as baseball has played out over the years, we start to see that it's such a hard game when you are in the batter's box and you have to hit a round a spherical ball with a rounded bat squarely. You have to be able in the balls going come coming from all different angles at all different speeds and you know you can make it move in so many different ways and it's a it's a real battle there and for somebody to to get into the Hall of Fame hit, Having failed 70% of the time that they went up to try to hit the ball For that to be a metric that will get you into the Hall of Fame to be remembered as the greatest ever play I say I said kids this is an allegory for life For life. Yeah for sure You, you I mean this is a hard thing and still after failing 70 percent of the time you can be considered one of the greats and it's uh it's just one of those things you know uh, angel anybody else listening if if there's any technical parts of the game you want um um any any uh want to explain please don't uh, don't hesitate because it uh, it becomes really good there um let's see here uh, Jalen Wennings says this is the first book in the book club I'm actually reading ahead for the new week because I seriously cannot put it down uh, I'll tell you I read out of necessity. I read all 101 pages today and I um, I, I, I could have gone another hundred I think it was it was just in, I, I can't wait for the next chapter 50 pages is gonna be easy and at the end of this Yes, we will do a viewing of of uh i think i'll do it again on sunday night whenever we end this in in a couple of weeks that sunday night on quite TV, i will air field of dreams and we'll all watch it together again um i'll do that on a sunday night we'll do that together um let's see gal 2 2021 says shoeless joe has a mystical feel to it which makes me think of having a calling Placed on one's life and then the called one becomes the one doing the calling This seems to characterize the development of ray and then in turn the path and arc of His calling JD Salinger to go with him. There is a feeling of being predestined or commanded But at the same time both men don't resist for long and seem to enjoy where they're being taken almost as if they were made for it and know they were
1: yes, Wonderful. There's no resistance there. They, they didn't put up much of a fight. He could have slammed the door in his face and told him to get out of there. He could have told the cop that this guy was kidnapping. He didn't. None of them. He did. They didn't put up a fight because something inside of them told them. Let's see where this goes.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Let's see. Let's play
1: this, this thing out. I'm a writer. You know, he's like JD Salinger. I'm a writer. I normally stay locked up. Okay, I'm I'm out of my house now. I'm I'm out. I'm let's just let's go with it. Let's see where it goes. And and same with Ray. I built a left field out of a cornfield because a voice in my head told me to do it. Nobody has told me to stop. I'm just gonna keep going until 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 there's a reason to stop. So they don't need to be they don't need to be dragged to this calling of theirs. They just need to get honest Mm -hmm. with themselves, with what they're hearing or what they're involved in. And as soon as they do that, and that's tough for a lot of people to just take your hands off and sort of trust. Um, But, but, but what these guys are showing is that if you do that, you put yourself in a position to, for amazing things to happen for for impossible things to happen.
0: Right, uh, right, uh, yes, yep. I uh, I have one last one, really uh, nice one over here, a thorough one from NJSF. He first prefaces to say that he's not from originally from the U.S. and and uh, it took a little time, didn't know how much that he was going to enjoy it just because he wasn't a sports fan nor a baseball follower, but he enjoyed very much, more than I expected. These first chapters of the book, the, the author uses his words to masterfully paint the ambiance, as Sharon said, right in the third paragraph, three years ago at dusk on a spring evening when the sky was robin's egg blue and the wind was as soft as a day old chick. that I knew right there we were in for a ride. In the first chapters, what really jumped at me is that his story of love, love for a father, a deep and honest love between two spouses, uh, love between a father and a daughter, and finally love of a game to tie all those together. Those chapters neatly tied up a hero's journey. I found refreshing how the author lays out how true love can be destiny, yet still to come with sacrifices and that, the sacrifices that are worth it. I can see more and more people turning, and he's, he's leaving a lot of excerpts from the book there, and, and I hope that, and the reason why we have these threads is that they're for posterity. They'll be, they're going to be archived with all of these, these uh, in the description of all these uploads that we do with this. They're always going to be there. So go and read and contribute and have some fun. I can see more people turning back to the land Uh, So I think that in a send uh, in a sense those values are coming back I like the unconditional support that Annie offers such as a rare Treasure these days. I'm fortunate to have experienced it from my wife not in such a peculiar setting Um, Let's see here Um, it, it was Very endearing, this excerpt from Chapter 2, when Karen, the daughter, interrupts the grown-ups. Daddy, the baseball game is on, says Karen, as she runs breathless into the living room. Now, I say, Karen smiles broadly, reaching her arms out to be picked up. Excuse us for a few minutes, I say, and head to the kitchen and out to the veranda. My relatives assume that we were going to watch television. But she she they're out there. I love how, uh, Charlie, how later on in Chapter two or whenever it was how Karen though she's only two and change which is the same age Aurora is right now is starting to pick up on on the strategy of the game and and how she was even calling out on these ghosts playing baseball before her the, the hit-and-run should have been on. Why they didn't have the hit-and-run on. Well, I didn't have the hit-and-run <laughs> on? What's going on? You know, and he's like, you're right.
1: <laughs> I would, if I saw that, I have an 11-year-old. If my 11-year-old told me why they put the hit-and-run on, I think I would have a, just a, a moment. You know? And,
0: and for, for dyslexic angel <laughs> out there, For dyslexic ugh. angel out there, the hit and run is a, is a special play where you know, it's more appropriate in certain counts, which we'll talk about counts at some other point. Uh, the hit and run is a certain play where the sign is given to a runner on first or second base, wherever it is usually on first place, where they steal you know the the pitcher is going through its windup and the runner on first base attempts to steal while the uh the the batter at home is attempting to put the ball in play so that they can get a uh, you know pretty much a, a running start on what could be a scoring play even from potentially as little as a single and um so that's just it. in you know bunting all those things they're situational plays and they, they pop up in certain there's almost like rules. It's like sitting down blackjack table. There are rules there. Unwritten rules, you got to know what the count is and you got and then you'll know what to do. But um, let's see here. The author also describes very well the discouraging and demotiv- demotivating effect of contemporary society has on anyone pursuing a dream outside of the official narrative via Annie's family's behavior which has so much parallel to the pressures of the last three years and the perverse um, the perverse allowance for evil uh, let's see here. Um, yeah, and there's one last thing here. It was interesting to me, the weaving of the stadium pilgrimage that I know some people do during the season during Ray's voyage to Vermont to meet J.D. Salinger. It was definitely a concisely written voyage, yet full of adventures like the encounter with the youths in S- South Chicago youths and uh, the violent boyfriend at the Cleveland dinner from which Ray picks up on the fake gun uh, in the cha- uh, in a jacket pocket trick for later. The leftovers at the Pittsburgh Motel, scenes of a not so hard Wholesome Americana to contrast with the wholesomeness of the pre-journey. It was funny how the author builds the little nuggets of interest that would capture J.D. Salinger's interest in Ray. Namely, the brothers Raymond and Richard Kinsella, how it must not have been a coincidence, but the reference to past acquaintance. The overall exchange was interesting. And, um, and what jumped out at me from their interaction was when Salinger put into context the trappings of fame and fandom. Uh, He says your writings have drawn me nearly 1500 miles allowed me to make a fool of myself actually made me a criminal That's what I call having influence, but I didn't ask you to do it says Salinger You're influenced by an illusion writers are magicians. They write down words And if they're good you believe what they write is real But the words on the paper have no connection to the person who wrote them writers live other people's lives for them I'm like you said many times already uh charlie it's it's really it's it's not a it's not a book of it's not a story about baseball it's it's not
1: that's why everyone keeps writing in and saying i didn't know if i was really going to dig it because cuz i'm not a huge sports fan or i'm not a baseball fan or i'm not originally from america baseball's the cover story
0: yeah
1: or or something else it's it's a it's it's a it's part of the story but it's not the only story it's about uh It's about um, it's it's about life, and it's and it's and it's and and on top of that, I think it has to do with when you read it, because we're reading it now in this current environment, and doesn't this life seem so appealing, so much easier, so much more simple? None of the not like just explaining how they're going to the baseball game and everything, and it's the late seventies, you know, and you go and it's like before all the nonsense and it's before all the garbage that's inv- inv- invaded us our our society and 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 this t- to me this book to me because i know of when it's when it's written and i know the time frame that it's about it really connects to me because this is this is this is in the the late 70s right i'm not sure exactly what year but Don Zimmer is the manager of the Boston Red Sox. So you are talking between 1976 and 1980. So it's one this, of those. Things. This was late, this was published in,
0: published in 82. So yeah,
1: published in 82. The time that they're talking about when they're talking about Jim Rice is a, you know is on the field and so he, it's he, late he, 70s. He
0: pays reference. He pays reference to being able to see Thurman Munson before his p- plane crash.
1: So, right, exactly. So you sort of get, you get an idea of where this time is. This is the time in my life, the exact time in my life when I was getting introduced to baseball and I had this really unique situation where just due to our next door neighbors um, in Palm Springs, California, our next door neighbor was a dentist in Anaheim and that, California angels played their spring training games in Palm Springs before they're the last holdout before going to Arizona. Ultimately now it's Arizona or Florida, but there was a time in the late seventies and early eighties that Palm Springs was where the angels played. So my next door neighbor, it's just his getaway home. He's the dentist for the, for the team, basically not officially, but, but they all know him. They're all his, his customers. So he starts having barbecues at his house in the late 70s. I'm five, six years old, seven. They, this went on for years. And every spring training, all the angels are over next door. And he's saying to me, come on over, come hang out, come, come, let's go. To the bar. We were good friends with their family. So I grew up with all of these guys. So when when I'm reading this book, that's when I was having these experiences. This is when I was connecting with baseball myself this, this, you know, the the crowd boos Don Zimmer as he walks out to the, to the, to the make a pitching change. Don Zimmer later is the guy that I was a coach with the Rockies when I was there. Mm. Talk, he talked, talked my ears off about quarter horses. I don't know anything about quarter horses. He was so enthusiastic. He's the greatest guy in the world, right? That's a real guy. So like, I'm reading this book and I'm having this sort of like this other kind of connection with it that's unique and personal to me where I'm seeing, you know, and Zim has passed away and Baylor's passed away, but Baylor was like uncle Don to Mm. me, you know what I mean? And so like I have, so to me, baseball is like my childhood. I have this very emotional connection, not just to baseball as a sport, but to major league baseball in the late seventies when he's with this whole thing right here, so the the, the book is like, I'm just really I'm really glad you picked me for this one. I, I, knew, I, I, knew, I knew it. I knew you. Yeah. It 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 again. Seen the movie? I've seen the movie a while ago. Rewatched it recently. Never read the book. Well, Charlie, and look what I was missing. Charlie, l- let me
0: let me let me just say that 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 the. I really do believe that this book club is a is a part of that if you be build it He will come thing in my life um, The the show I've been drawn to do certain things I've been drawn to Create certain things and I still don't know where it's all heading, but I know what I love doing and I knew that I had to do book club I knew I wanted to bring literature into this and I knew what kind of books I wanted to read with people and every damn pick since last march when i started this book club has been serendipitous in the time and the 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 message of each book and the person i did it with so the fact that you and i when, when i texted you that night or you texted me i don't know but the night that i asked you when was the last time you watched um uh, uh Field of Dreams. I was in my I was in my bathroom getting ready to go into a shower and I was watching Field of Dreams streaming on my on my show on my uh my website uh inside of my sh- I was setting it up so I could watch it in my shower through my shower curtain whatever. And I started thinking, you know, I started thinking I would love to do a breakdown of this movie. Who can I do it with? And I said, "Oh, Charlie. Charlie's a huge baseball fan. We're on the same length." And then I started thinking Movie. I I have never watched. I've never read Shoeless Joe. And you know the other thing that happened yeah. was, I was going this time in June. I was going to be reading De Tocqueville's Democracy in America instead. And I realized that that was like nine thousand pages. I said I can't do that. <laughs> what am I going to do right now? And. and so the, the fact that we're all sitting here tonight and that this is the title and that we are co-hosting it together is part of that get in the car and just drive kind of a thing. That's, it's, it's all the same thing, and, um, and I, I'm, I'm really loving that. The, the, the last thing I'll put up here is a, a comment from Wally World, and he just simply says in the thread, boy, Ray sure does hate the Yankees. And yes. yeah <laughs> just...
1: everybody hates the Yankees that aren't Yankee fans.
0: I love I love that one line. What is does His father say the Yankees lose so seldom that when they do lose it's warrant for celebration.
1: Yeah. I remember asking Baylor. Uh I said what do you I just ask him crazy crazy shit all the time. I said uh Is George steinbenner really that big of an asshole? And he goes, George Steinbrenner made me a millionaire. And I said, Oh, okay. He no. said, George you'll always be fine with me. I was like, <laughs> That's, That's right. He did. He paid Don, I remember in 83, 80, 82, paid him a million a year. And that was like, Holy moly.
0: Yeah. That's incredible. That's incredible. I, I, you know, from a distance, I love these people that you're talking about. It's so awesome that you got to grow up around them. And you know what? We still have about 156 pages left to be able to yeah. to have these conversations. And for next week, ladies and gentlemen, let's do chapter three. Chapter three starts on page 105 for me, and it ends on page 153 or, yeah, 53. So uh we're talking about fifty-two pages. That is a cakewalk compared to the first one oh one. And then um and then I don't know, I think there's another long ass chapter after that that we're gonna have to break it down into uh sections just so that we can we can do this leisurely over four weeks, because I wanna be able to do more more detail. There's so many little details that we couldn't do in one hour, but I think that we've gotten everything yeah. that we need to set up for the next the thing here. So Charlie, Thank um you. Uh, they, people are already saying Charlie is the perfect co-host. And oh, uh, thank you. That's thank it. you.
1: Well, I, well, for one, Frank makes it easy to to do this. But for two, I can't fake my enthusiasm for baseball. Yeah. I just love it. It's authentic. You either do or you don't. And 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 um, I, and I, I, you know, so any chance I get to to talk baseball. Uh, and I sent you something because I said, I, I, I sent, I texted Frank randomly, some sports related thing. And then I realized that it just kind of came out of left field and I sounded unhinged left field. You say, and and I, and I, and I, I I then I sent another text that said, sorry, it's just, I don't have anybody to talk sports with except you and Sam trip. And, and, and Sam's as crazy as, as, They come, so it's like sometimes I just have to talk about sports with somebody. So I send Frank random texts from time to time.
0: Let me see here. Um, I think it was April thirtieth. I
1: thought it felt like to me after I reread it. It felt like uh, I just kind of. Blurted out of nowhere some you said you said I, I watched the, the
0: Matt Damon and Ben Affleck movie about Nike oh. and Jordan Very well done as a sports fan. You'll enjoy it. I really emphasize how much the sports world has changed um, And then you said uh, you and Sam Tripoli are the only Alt-media guys I can talk sports with best movie. I've seen in years and that, then let me see here um, Uh, Wait a second. Let's uh, Wait, 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 where the hell is it? Okay no woke nonsense, the story we already know, surprisingly funny. That was at 10.15 p.m. At 10.46 p.m., now I'm in my my, my, my shower, okay? At 10.46 p.m., I text you, I said, I'm airing Field of Dreams right now on, net, on the network. Uh, this one never misses. Have you ever done a deep dive on this, and could you? And, it, I mean, that was it. I mean, that was the start of it. April, April 30th. So that's how this all yeah. started. But anyway.
1: And I stand by my ass- assertion that the, the the Nike movie was good, that Matt and Ben did. I'm going to check it out.
0: I'm going to yeah. check it out. I need something to watch this weekend. But, Charlie, thank you for tonight. I cannot wait for uh, next week. And remember, everybody, session two is going to be chapter three. Enjoy it. I will make sure that the new thread is up uh, within the next 48 hours. And, And until next time, thank you, Charlie, and thank you, everybody at home.
1: Peace.